Consciousness Show with Dean Farrell in Portland, Oregon, Jim Condit Jr. in Cincinnati, Ohio, Steve Harris in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, live from Evanston, Illinois, your host, Fred Smart. Hello, thanks everyone for coming back. Uh, miss you guys. I uh, wasn't here last week. Uh, my son, middle son, uh, started a series uh, against Vanderbilt University. We had a great weekend, and uh, we're back at it this week. Where my wife and I came over to Gatlinburg. We've been hiking in the Great Smoky Mountains, and uh, there's a lot of hiking going on. Hiking going on right now in the freedom movement uh, as we uh, attempt to navigate these troubled waters. Uh, there have been many people we've known over the last 10 to 15 years who have fought the good fight. Uh, got dragged into court and, uh, and stood up and filed things and, and have gotten just destroyed. And uh, Dan Benham, our guest tonight, has been on with us before. I'd like to welcome him to the call tonight. Thanks, Rose Lear, for giving us the heads up. Rose and Bill Lear gave the heads up for Dan to come on. Uh, some very timely things have been filed by Dan in, in the courts, and he's going to explain that along with with his uh, book that's available about his experience, justifiedextortion.com. Dan Benham, thank you and welcome to the show. Really appreciate your time. And uh, I know the subject of your personal experience. uh, uh, You went at this just for the sake of the truth, gathering facts, doing your own research, and uh, much of the matter of people like we all know, Joe Bannister over the years, documenting those, putting them down on paper, You've, you've actually laid out the experience of what you've witnessed 
in in this uh, uh, grand extortion scheme uh, that looks like it's been going on for many, 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 many years. And uh, I want to thank you for coming on the show and, and sharing part of the story. And you were going to mention a brief that you were recently filed that uh, has a little bit of a twist in, in how it was received inside the system. Thanks, Dan, for coming on. Absolutely, Fred. I, I truly appreciate it. It's always good to uh, catch back up with uh, longtime friends. And you're right, we've, we've been at this for a long time. I, this, this, honestly, it started for me back in the late 90s. Um, and uh, <laughs> it's been a very interesting road, to say the least. Um, I, I guess what I'd like to do is, is just kind of uh, go through like a little brief of what took place, what happened. Uh, a lot of this stuff sure. can be found in the book. Um, however, I, 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 the, the purpose of the book is not to just tell a story about myself. Um, there are literally hundreds of attachments and uh, web links within the site or within the book that brings you right directly to the actual firsthand documented facts, whether it be in the Library of Congress or, or an actual Supreme Court case, uh, citation of law going right to you know your uh, United States Code or whatever the case is. It goes right to the direct facts in hopes that it actually helps other people find the same information that quite honestly still makes me just scratch my head and say, what, what, what are they thinking? I mean, what, how does this work? <laughs> it's amazing some of the stuff that, that has taken place and what we've seen. Um, and I do like to bring up, uh, number one, I, I am a certified paralegal. I'm non-practicing, so uh, please don't you know, bombard me with, with hey, can, you, can I hire your services? Because it's just not going to happen. Um, I, I don't have time for it right now. I don't mean to sound harsh about that. But there's a lot that goes into that. I mean, there's a lot of thought. There's a lot of facts that need to be gathered. Um, a, a lot needs to be put together. And I don't say that as a push-off. I, I say that actually hopefully trying to warn people that if they do want to do this themselves, please have the facts yourself because it's you that's going to have to go into the courts. And if you go into that court, if you don't know what's going on, it's not going to come out pretty. It, it won't. <laughs> it doesn't come out pretty for a lot of us that actually do know what's going on. Um, uh, Joe Bannister, you mentioned his name earlier. What a fantastic uh, gentleman, uh, former IRS criminal investigator, uh, investigative agent. Um, it's a great story. I encourage you to go uh, find his website. What the, what is his? Do you know his website right off the top of your hand? Agent Agent something, isn't it? I don't know off the top of my head, but if it, you just Type in Joe Bannister into Google, you'll find it. It's all over the place. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, obviously they give me liberty with Bob Schultz and uh, Pete Hendrickson with uh, Lost Horizons and his Cracking the Code. I could rattle off a ton of names. And, and in fact, a lot of people, if you go to the website, uh, justifyextortion.com, there's uh, a library of uh, documents on there for people, some documents that are just blank, like a blank brief. Um, then there's also some other uh, library stuff on there, as well as links to go right to uh, some of these uh, uh, sites as well. Um, <clears throat> kind of goes to the, to the name of the book itself, is Justified Extortion. Um, it, it really does sound like a very harsh <laughs> name at first, but when you sit back and think about and you start finding out and realizing 
for example, the Grace Commission report back in the 80s for Reagan, it point blank said that not one dime of your of anyone's income taxes goes to pay for government services, of which the people in this country absolutely believe that's where it's going, and it's not. It, it goes to pay off the interest on Congress's debt. Want to know why Congress is spending the money? Because you're sending them tax money. They know it. It, it's, it's, <laughs> it just makes my I just scratch my head and think, well, is that um, So, anyways, um, it was. Uh, the late 90s, uh, I've, I've always worked in the auto industry. I shouldn't say always, but the, the, the lion's share of my working years, uh, I worked in the auto industry, uh, usually at dealerships, uh, new car dealerships. Um, so I was working at a dealership up, up in northern Michigan, and our computer technician or computer manager, he, he handled all the technical stuff at the dealership. Uh, back then, it was the 90s, so we hadn't even had, you know, Y2K yet. <laughs> all those younger kids that, that think, wow, what's this guy talking about? And that back then, we didn't, we had dial-up. So, <laughs> but yeah, anyway, <laughs> anyway, he came and, and he was talking to me, and he started mentioning about, you know, Social Security being voluntary and income taxes being voluntary and the Federal Reserve being illegal and just some crazy stuff, which I'm just sitting here scratching my head thinking, wait a minute, you're telling me, and I'm, I'm the one actually doing the uh, drafting up and, and, and doing the, the finance contract. I was the finance manager at the time. This, this kid's crazy. Well, so I basically just, you know, for, forgot what he said and just went about life normal. Didn't even think about it. Well, then he brings in another gentleman, um, and this gentleman, God rest his soul, great, great friend of mine, Jim DeArmond from up in northern Michigan. Um, extremely intelligent, as I found out later, with administrative processes. Just, just a brilliant guy as far as legally. Um, he come in one day, and he literally looked like, um, the, the, on the clampets, the, the, the grandpa. <laughs> he, looked like he had bib overalls on, and this guy had a really gruff, bearded face, you know, shorter gentleman, a little bit heavy set. He looked like a farmer, uh, you know, and that's, that's the first impression. The reason I say that is because that was the mentality that I had at the time because I was living that corporate life and I seen things through a corporate lens. You know, I, I, and it, it's sad. It actually taught me a lot, by the way. Um, anyways, right off the get-go, I, I just thought this guy was lunatic because he was saying the same things. He was yeah. saying that Social Security is voluntary, so on and so forth. And, and I just said, look, if, if, if what you're telling me is true, you're telling me that I have been writing illegal contracts out of this auto dealership for the last 10, 15 years. I, 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 the state would not let that happen. <laughs> I'm sorry. They wouldn't let that happen. And he said, well, I, I tell you what, if you don't believe me, go down to Social Security Administration, smile half down the road, ask for, as a matter of fact, I forget what her actual first name was, but it was his wife. Um, yeah. And so she works down there. Go ask her to, for a, a brochure about about a baby, a baby getting a social security number. So I went down there and asked. And fine, I, I can do that. And sure enough, she gave me this app, uh, this uh, brochure. It was a little trifold brochure. And it said, must my baby get a social security number? We're getting a social security number for my baby. And you open it up, and the very first sentence, it says, getting a baby, uh, social security number for your child is voluntary. And the only bolded word on the entire pamphlet was voluntary. Wow. It, it just it caught me off guard. I'm just like, this, this, wow, holy cow. So 
I didn't quite buy it yet. I thought maybe this was that wasn't an official document. It was a brochure. We dealership. We yeah. got brochures all the time. So I decided to go into Title Forty Two and start searching this. And I I couldn't find any section that specifically said it. But then I went to the publications and I found there's it's an actual publication. You can go right to Social Security website, type in um, um, Social Security number for my child, and this brochure still pulls up to to date. And it, point blank, right in the very first section, it lets you know that Social Security number is voluntary. Now, for most people on this phone, they're going to think that that's absolutely insane. That, 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 that you can't tell me that Social Security number is voluntary. You need it. You, well, no, actually, you don't. And I went so far back in 2006, shortly after that, about five years, I went to the local Social Security office in Muskegon, Michigan, and I'm not afraid to say where it was because I've got the documentation for it. I walked in the office and I you know, pulled number 79 and they were on two. <laughs> you know, so I sat there for my hour and a half waiting. And the agent came out and got me, went in the back, and she's like, what can I do to help you out? And, and I said, well, um, I have a little dilemma. Number one, um, I truly am, since June 6, 1996, by the way, just for the audience here tonight, um, I'm a born-again Christian. And <clears throat> I, I, I just kind of feel that the, the Social Security number may be deemed what my, my book of Revelation from my God says may be the mark of the beast. I can't say that for sure, which today I still can't, but it very well could be. And I'd rather take a chance at, you know, following my God's law <laughs> rather than yours. Um, number two, I've seen this brochure right here says that getting a social security number is voluntary, and it's from your, you know, agency. Um, third, I believe the United States Constitution, if, it's, if I'm not incorrect, the state, i.e. or government, cannot compel a person into a contract, nor can they compel me out of a contract so long as it's valid. It's very, very crystal clear. They shall not abrogate the right to contract. They can't, they can't get involved unless there's an illegal activity. So when people start thinking like that, it, it starts to open up their minds. And this is a younger gal. I put her in her mid-20s. Um, and finally I looked at her and the, the last part of it, I handed her a passport application, not a visa, a U.S. passport application with the instructions, all pages. And I, it has since changed by now. I went and looked at it. It has changed. However, at the time, it was on the instructions where it said, um, please put your social security number in box eight or whatever box it was, if you have one. Mm -hmm. what, now, why would I even be on Because an alien cannot get a U.S. passport, only a U.S. citizen can. So anyways, my brain was starting to go towards, okay, this is all voluntary. Um, so it really started to um, click with me that something – drastically was wrong. Our government was actually forcing people to contract with them so that they can get money from them every week, holding a great big slush fund while they probably sell it and trade it on Wall Street and make billions of dollars and give us $1,500 $1, when we get too old, can't work anymore. I, I, you know, <laughs> maybe I'd choose to pick that and, and keep that myself if I was 18 and knew that it was actually voluntary. Now I'm 50 years old. I'm like, you know, I really might want to use that unless I can make a ton off Bitcoin or something. But anyways, um, so it started a curve for me back in the, in the late 90s. 
And I started to do a lot of research and a lot of study. And since I already did commercial law, I was, you know, I, I was business manager. That was, I had to study contracts and uh, make sure the dealership stayed compliant with its financial documents and so on and so forth. So I was already very familiar with that. So I naturally gravitated towards commercial law. And the same concept, every time I'm going in here researching and studying things, I'm seeing like the United States is defined as a corporation. Um, the, the word um, gross income is never defined, uh, or it's defined by itself. Uh, gross income is gross income. Uh, okay, well, what, what is gross income? I mean, it's just a jury. It's a circle. How do you, how do you figure this out? <clears throat> Going to fast forward here a little bit more. Went so much as found uh, all, all, all the guys at the time. It was Bob Schultz and obviously Joe Bannister, John Turner, Sherry Jackson, uh, Dewey Tobias. Uh, there was tons. There was tons in the movement back then. And we all actually shared a lot of information and tried to help each other. Um, but what happened, I believe, in the mid-2000s to 2010 to 15 was there was a massive charge from our government to anybody who even breathed the word income taxes. I mean, it was a full-fledged assault on the American people, and, and, the, and the people, the general public didn't see it. They, they attacked a bunch of people. Um, yes. um, I also met, uh, well, at the time I didn't meet him then, but I met him later, was Pete Hendrickson, who you know, wrote the, the Crack in the Code book, and I got that book back in 2003, I think it was. Um, a little skeptical at first, but I, I kept seeing and watching. He kept getting successes. These people kept getting 100% of the checks back. And, and he posted right on the site. I mean, by the way, you go to lostrises.com um, and then go into his crack in the code sections, and he does have a section in there that says uh, our heroes or real-world success stories or something to that. And you click on that, and there's just page after page after page, just hundreds and thousands of names with actual... Uh, 1040 returns, 4852s, IRS responses, and the checks sent back to the people for 100% of what was on that tax return. It is fascinating. I would definitely go there and, and, and see that there is success stories. So back in 2003, I submitted tax returns like that. I, I did them that way. And then I was put under criminal investigation. And I think that happened in 2003. Uh, fast forward a little bit, an attorney that they gave me, an accountant and the IRS were all begging me basically to do a 1040X and amend my returns. So the, the accountant did the tax returns, but I wrote big letters under threat, duress, and coercion, <laughs> protested uh, over top of my signature. You could see my signature, but you, you really could see where I said protested under threat, duress, and coercion. I would not lawfully authorize that document. You know, um, so anyways, they, I went through court, they charged me, tried me, and convicted me. The underlying reasons that they, they charged me with tax evasion and bankruptcy fraud were the two charges. And the underlying reason was that I didn't put my business income on my tax returns or the bankruptcy petition or documents or whatever. And I never owned a business. I, I did speak at several different people's, like I am tonight. I was just speaking. Um, they basically said that I owned one of the companies that I would do presentations and speaking for. By the way, my presentations didn't even have to do with taxes. I was I talked about commercial law and banking. I, I didn't. I, I I still don't. I don't teach or talk to people about 
taxes or laws or anything like that, um, you know, giving advice. Like I said, I am a certified paralegal uh, from Blackstone, by the way, um, but I, I, I don't um, I, I don't give legal advice. I don't give legal opinions. I'm not a tax expert or any of that kind of stuff. That's also should be a disclaimer. Yes. Um, so they charged me. They locked the court. Not even my mom. Nobody could go into court. They locked it down, with the exception of the 28 federal agents that were in the courtroom listening. Um, and wouldn't let me speak. I've tried to file 27 different documents. The court rejected them all, saying I had an attorney. Um, I fired the attorney in open court. The judge said I couldn't do that. Um, and any time I would try to answer a question that my attorney would ask, he, why did you put zeros here? Well, because 3401, you know, and I'd start citing the sections of Pete's uh, tax returns. That I, that I They're my tax returns, but they were done very similar to the ones on the last side. They wouldn't put the whole document. They put page one and two in there, but did not put in the 4852. They withheld that from the jury as well. Um, and I believe they used the word tax protester 170 some times in court in front of the jury. So they had it out for me. And what it was, was they told the jury that I was out selling tax protester snake oil. And that I own the company that I didn't own. To this day, it's been 12, 13 years. I'm still waiting for the IRS to release to me the actual application that was used to form that corporation. I, I understand there, there, there's a TIN number. There's a TIN number and that came out, but I want to see the application form that was used. To this day, they won't send me back any response. They said they have responded, and the only response I ever got was that you don't have the authority to get such documents, which in itself is an admission that I obviously don't have anything to do with that company. <laughs> so, so anyway, um, I, I do my time, and I get out in late 2013. So, excuse me. So, 2013 comes in. I walk out. You know, they stole everything. And then you, you were there. You were there three years or five years or how long were you in? Yeah, I was in. I was in federal prison for five years. Wow. Yep. Because of this tax thing, and, and it gets better now. I get out, and here I'm just thinking, okay, I'm just going to keep my head low. I'm not going to fight with these people. I'm just going to. I don't like what I was for the last five years. It was fine. It was a low. I mean, it was it was nasty. I didn't enjoy being there any way, shape, or form. But it wasn't as it's nothing like what people see on TV. It's it's not. I mean, it's it's a city of our own. We got our own store. We got our own library. We got our own gym. Uh, it, it's just a little city locked away behind prison walls. Um, so, anyways, I get out and I get back in the car business in 2014. And 2018, here I'm paying 250 a month for this restitution. They charged me $47,000 in restitution. I'm such a bad guy. I had to get six years in prison, got out in five for good time, for $47,000 is what the court sent me for restitution. That's what they said I damaged the IRS or the treasurer, whoever they claim I, I damaged. Um, so, yeah, I just sit there and think, 47000 Holy cow, there's people that get in trouble for $10 million and they do seven months. <laughs> they didn't like what I was talking about. Um, anyways, um, so I get back in the car business. 2018 rolls around, and I get this bill from the IRS. 
and the bill is for like three hundred and eighty thousand dollars or something. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? And well, apparently they said all these fines, all these penalties, all the interest and late fees, and all this other stuff. They're saying not only did I owe the forty-seven thousand that I've been paying back to the to the court, the federal court. Now they're saying that I owed another three hundred seventy some thousand, and that they're going to start garnishing my checks. So. I, I get this letter and I instantly ask him for the you know collection due process hearing. I've been ignored on that for twelve years now, twelve or thirteen years. I've never been granted a timely filed request for a collection due process hearing, and I'm gonna have to say an exception to that because Michigan just gave me one um, just the other day, and, and I, I, that that was not pretty on them. I'll just say that that was that was very well done and I cannot wait to see that recommendation, but I'll, I'll finish up with that part. So um, anyways, I, I go back and say, you know what, I'm, I'm done playing these games with these people. So I sent 1040s for every year from 2000 until 2018 at that time with a letter stating that I don't know where you guys get your numbers at. These are the only sworn tax returns that I've ever honored or ever swore to, to be truthful and honest. Please correct all your records to make sure that they match this. Please see the attached 1040s for 2000 through 2018 and their attached 4852 forms. back pretty much didn't hear anything. Well, I'm sorry, that was 2017. I apologize. 2018, I said, you know, I'm just going to start filing these this way. So I did the 4852, which for those that probably hear me say this and don't know what it is, a 4852 form is quite simply just a replacement to a W-2 or a 1099. If somebody gives you a 1099 or a W-2 and there's something wrong with it, there's an error or something is wrong with it, you use a 4852 form to correct that error or to ask the IRS to correct it. Um, so I filed that in 2018. They started to garnish my wages, but then I filed suit in tax court, and they had to stop until court was, was done. I filed an actual petition. So I'm going through the tax court now, and I brought up like seven different issues, one of them being jurisdiction and standing. And I always like to bring that up. Um, here, here's a nice good nugget for everybody. There's steel versus citizens for a better environment. I believe it was 1988, Supreme Court case that not only explains what jurisdiction and standing is, but also the process and the procedures for all the parties and the court. And they make it very clear that jurisdiction has to be first proven, then standing has to be proven, then they can go to the merits of the case, but only after jurisdiction and standing are on the record if asked and requested. They just assume it and go right straight to the merits of the case and merits of the facts and so on and so forth. Um, that case actually has been mentioned again in 2002 with U.S. versus Cotton, where the Supreme Court came out and said, Steele already discussed this issue. We're not discussing it. It's over. It's done. So that is what, in my opinion, created what they call stare decisis or settled law. It's settled. The issues now that are within um, the Steele case that Cotton refers to, which is the process, procedures, and policies for jurisdiction and standing in steel are rock solid. They're done. We're not going to discuss this anymore. And 
that process was quite simple. The court must have jurisdiction over the issue, over the matter. That's called subject matter jurisdiction. Standing is very important because both parties have to prove that they have a, a, a good cause to be there. And the one that I really like is no damages. If somebody doesn't have a damage, in order for you to go to court and actually have standing, you have to prove that you've been damaged. And I'm just going to let people's minds elaborate on that because I want you to, to really think about how is a bank damaged if they never gave you money? How is the government damaged if they're not an actual human being? Where's the damage? If there's no damages, then lawfully, according to the Supreme Court, there's no jurisdiction for the court to even go to the merits of the case. It doesn't matter what the case is about. If the court doesn't have jurisdiction or the parties don't have standing, then the merits are fruit of a poisonous tree. Very, very powerful stuff, if, if you know it, but getting them to adhere to it is the, the next part. So I filed these 18 returns, and lo and behold, six, seven months later, something like that, I get acknowledgement from the IRS processing center that they're processing my tax returns as filed. And there were 16000 and some odd dollars withheld out of my paychecks for, the whole, for that year, and that they were actually saying that I was owed $16,400, I think it was. It was 16000 something. Um, but because I had previous debt with the government, they were going to send it to, the, to, to help pay off the debt rather than send me the actual check. Well, two, three months later, I get my monthly federal court restitution bill, and I noticed that the balance had dropped from like 29, 28,000 down to like 12. So the tax return that the IRS processed, they actually took a huge chunk of that and set it towards the restitution. So now I know that the tax return must be working. Didn't really say a whole lot about anything, just continued to go forward with the case and also the next year, 2019 rolls around, submits the same kind of tax returns, lo and behold, I get a check back for, you know, I said that back was 16, it was like $17,000, and it was 17, it was only 16,000, that's what it was. So they did it again, and they processed it, said that tax returns were correct, and they had sent the money to go offset what they called again, um, still outstanding debt with the, with, the, with the government. So I have two years worth now that they've actually returned. And I got another document from 2014 tax return stating that they couldn't process the return of the refund on my 2014 income tax form because it was beyond the three-year statute of limitations. So technically, 2014, they admitted that the tax returns are correct. It's just they're going to say that they don't, they don't have to, I, I waited longer than three years to get a return. I'm technically right now arguing the fact that I'm not asking for a return. I just want my property. You took my property. This wasn't a tax return. This was a taking of property under Tucker. A Tucker claim is, is a, but you took my property. There was no just compensation for it. This is not a tax. Mm -hmm. So they're still wrestling with that one. So as I'm going through tax court, I drafted this brief. And I did some of the, I emailed you the brief. Um, and if, if my private, um, well, we'll bypass that. It does have the court case number on there, so anybody is free to, to go and look at the court, court case itself through the U.S. tax court. 
I did appeal the issue through the Sixth Circuit, so you'll be able to find it using that case number if uh, any lawyers or whatnot on him. So I really would like a lot of people to take this document and read it and learn it, number one. Two, if there's any errors in it, please let me know. And three, if you know an attorney or a paralegal or somebody that can draft this thing up, I believe this document is extremely powerful because in tax court, I filed a petition and then I filed, uh, uh, filed this brief with it to explain the petition and give the particulars. The tax court actually took the brief and renamed it letter. So on the docket sheet, it looked like I mailed the court a letter. Okay. And it was the brief underlying my entire petition. So we go back and forth, and now the court makes a decision stating that we've looked at all the briefs, and we basically say that, that, that the IRS wins. They said that they didn't, they didn't give me a final determination or something like that, and that way the court didn't have jurisdiction over the case. So I appealed it up to the Sixth Circuit, and I brought this stuff back up and said they actually transferred this from a brief to a letter, and now the court was able to not talk about and discuss my brief because it wasn't a court document. It was a letter. Yeah. So now the appellate court also said the same thing. So they're ignoring this document for some reason. They, they don't want to touch it. Because Fred, you and I both be the first ones to, to let everybody out there know. If you file a document and it's wrong, they will let you know. <laughs> they will let you know. So they don't want to touch this document. I find it very interesting. They renamed it a letter. I called them, caught them on it, and I sent it back in again. They said, you've already submitted this in. I said, I know, but on the docket it says it's a letter. It needs to be a brief. I need the judge to answer this brief. It goes with, mm-hmm. the, with the petition. Yeah. They, they put it on a second time as a letter. Okay. Wow. So, anyway, please share that wild and share it all over the place because I think not only would it give a great history um, of what took place, I don't know if you remember Dan Meter. Do you remember Dan out of Oklahoma? Yeah, a long, long time ago, Dan. Yeah. So, Dan uh, put together some information that another friend of mine, Dewey Tobias, um, they put together information about like presidential documents and the, also the Federal Register documentation as to where, how the creation of the IRS from start to finish, when it was actually created, how it was, how there was never even an office. They, they didn't, no Congress, Congress didn't even create an office. All they did was appointed new uh, agents or clerks for the internal revenue service. Now it's not external, it's an internal to the federal government agency, which never, ever was given the authority, collection, assessment, um, liens, levies, none of that. They, they've never been given authority over over domestic, non-privileged activities, i.e. what most Americans enjoy. It's not a privilege to go to work. You have a right to go to work. So um, labor is property, just like money is property. You go to work, you just you exchange two forms of property. You exchange your labor for money. There, there's no profit. There's no gain. And it's certainly not a privileged excise taxable event. That's, that's basically the crutch of, of the 4852 form 
that we use to fill out. When you go to Pete's site, you'll see a couple of sections of law that are referenced on the 4862 forms. One of them is 26 U.S.C. 341, and the other one is 26 U.S.C. 3121. And those are definitions of employer and employee for tax purposes in the income tax system. Well, the, the term employee is an employee for a federal, state, or municipal governmental agency or something connected to the state or federal government. Mm -hmm. Most people working at the basic mom-and-pop grocery store or restaurant or so, that, that's not touching the federal government. There's no, there's no federal benefit or no federal privilege or state privilege attached to it. So according to the documents that we are finding, we have found, that the normal common American working in America, their activities underlying that dollar amount that shows up on a check is not an excisable tax. So I, I really, I don't know if you want to get into the in-depth information because I, I usually try to just jump right into some kind of questions after half hour, 45 minutes. That way we can... No, I, I, yeah, we, we probably need to keep keep it keep it short and sweet here, Dan. We've got some people uh, who've been patiently uh, hanging in there, uh, and I just want to start out. Rose, if you're there, all right, guys, uh, I'm going to interject here. Okay. Go read the IRS's I nine form. Mm -hmm. it, explicitly explains what Dan has gone into depth. It's all right there on the I-9 form. Yes. Your employer may not demand what identification you choose to give them to work in the United States. And you can give your employer a voter's registration card and a birth certificate and bypass a social security number. Mm -hmm. Yep. I mean, it's all right there on their legal forms. Mm -hmm. I've been screaming about this for a long time, but nobody has. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Nobody pays and, attention. And and here's a couple of the things that has happened that I that I'll kind of wrap this section up with. Um, and and it's always a pleasure to hear your voice, Rose. We, you you and I is funny. We actually lived in the same town for many many years together. Uh, it's it's been a long haul, <laughs> Rose and Bill. Yeah, well, yeah, it, it goes back back a ways. Um, however, back in August last year. I got the 19 and I got the 18 and I got the 14 tax returns confirmed, verified, processed, and they actually started offsetting some of the outstanding bills that I had with them, which I'm arguing whether I had them because I was put in prison for what they're saying now, that's totally fine. They're processing my tax return. I didn't do anything different. I was still in the auto industry. Back then it was worthy enough to go to prison, but now it's okay. You're going to start sending money back. I, I'm, I'm totally mystified by what is even going on here. But long story short, 2018, done. 2019, done. So in 2019, I'm reading the, the, the W-4 form. 
And I'm just thinking, this thing says exemption. What, what is this exemption? So I read the exemption on the instructions, and it's pretty clear. It says if you didn't have a tax liability last year and you don't anticipate having a tax liability this year, write exempt under line 21 or whatever it is, and submit it in. And sign and date it. Okay, so I did that. And the employer took about a week or so, but they confirmed and said, well, moving forward from August last year or whatever it was, moving forward, no taxes will be taken out of your paychecks. So it, now, for the last six months, there's been nothing, no state, no federal taxes even withheld out of my check. So it's, it's, it's very interesting. Read, read the damn forms that you're signing. I, I can go back to grade school and I can hear that nun talking to us and, you know, we were little kids. But they told us, you do not put your pencil to that paper until you have completely read the entire instructions. And you also have to understand what the words mean. And what I, there's, some, there's a document on, on the justified extortion in my library. What we did back in the day, and this was Dewey, it wasn't me. I, just, uh, I, I was just there to happily see the results that he got. Um, he, he grabbed the statute that dealt with the original IRS authority. And it said clearly that the, uh, the Congress basically had the right to its IRS service to collect taxes from persons here or aliens abroad. No, I, I said that backwards. I'm sorry. Aliens here or, or uh, I apologize, guys. Persons here or citizens abroad. And it caused Dewey to send back to the Legislative Council a letter stating, could you please clarify something in the sentence that says that the Congress shall have the right to tax persons here or citizens abroad. And he said, my confusion comes from the fact that you've identified that a person and a citizen must be two different things because they're mentioned in the same sentence. So if a person is not a citizen, please tell me what a person is. And they actually wrote back, and it was, it was mumbo-jumbo stating that it was, it was agreed by the Congress that in order to make it easier for the Americans to understand, they switched the word alien into person. So the original tax code actually said that the Congress had the right and the authority to tax aliens here domestically working or citizens that were working in foreign countries. But it specifically I said, once had, and this was mm -hmm. way back, and I once had somebody actually went to Washington, D.C. and took a photograph of the Federal Register. And it was the, the portion that identified who must file what form according to the OMB numbers. And I went through that. And the only people that were required to file 
a 1040 individual was an alien doing business in the United States married to a citizen of the United States or a citizen working abroad. And, and Rose, I can amplify that very quickly and, with the law. I, I don't have that document anymore because my computer. I, I actually do have that. You, uh, anyone can file what's called an SF-83. Ask for a, uh, do a FOIA request for a standard Form 83. It's an SF-83 form in regards to a 1040 form. A 1040 form has an OMB number, which is Office of Management and Budget, which if you get a document from the government without an OMB number, it's actually a voluntary request. An OMB number has to be on and displayed according to the Federal Register in order for citizens to um, be required to fill out the information on that form. So 1545-0074 has been on every 1040 form forever. Anybody can go on, online right now, look at the OMB number for a tax form, an individual tax return, and it's going to be 1545-0074. Now, according to 26 CFR 1.1-1, that is tax on individuals in the Code of Federal Regulations. The IRS has to comply with the federal regulations, and under 26 CFR 1.1-1, under individuals, it is never mentioned on that standard form 83 for the 1040 form with OMB number 1545-0074. In other words, the, the, the tax on individuals is not even required in the Code of Federal Regulations to be used on that form. And the form that is on 261-1.1-1 is actually form 2555, which is entitled Foreign Earned Income. Very good information, Rose. Very good information. They don't want to answer that I wish, either. I wish I still had that snapshot. I, I've got the whole file. It's just part of my record, so I, I can I can email it right out to you. Julie and uh, uh, Dan Meter did a lot of that research. A lot of that research. Um, so what? What it brings me to is, is my final point before I'll, I'll claim up for the night and let anyone ask any questions, is I'm, I'm the kind of person, I'm a problem, reaction, solution kind of guy. Um, I understand that we face problems a lot in life. Um, most people, unfortunately, even myself at times, we get stuck in the reaction mode. We react. And as far as I'm concerned, that's all the news is. The, the news is nothing but reactionary information. It's not solution-based. As a matter of fact, I pretty much think that all politicians now are reaction and uh, no solutions. But anyways, I like to bypass the, the reaction parts in, of certain topics or events and move on to solutions. And I do think that I hold some information that's very vital for people if they ever have an issue with a public servant. And what that is is, quite simply, everybody realizes that a public servant, your police officer, the presidents, your congresspeople – judges, um, I believe attorneys through the Bar Association, even down to some teachers at school, they take an oath to office. And that oath is because you're working for the state or the federal government, you take an oath. Well, that oath has to be bonded. 
And let me, let me rephrase that. Not every one of them have to be bonded. But like your judges and your district attorneys, um, your congresspeople, president, police officers, they all have to have a bond in order for, for that oath to be um, activated. If they don't have a bond, Secretary then the oath is not null and bold. Your Secretary of State. Your Secretary of State needs to be bonded too, right? Oh, absolutely. Secretary of State, uh, governors, uh, all of them. And, and that's where I'm going with this is if, if, we, if, if you understand the bond of a public servant is no different than car insurance on a car. And everybody knows what happens if you get into five accidents, drunk driving, speeding all the time, they're going to revoke your insurance and you're uninsurable. That's the same concept with a public servant's bond. If too many claims are filed against that bond, they become uninsurable for life. They can't be bonded ever again. Last I checked in Michigan, the bond requirement was three. If they got three claims, if say the governor out there in, in Whitmer or whatever in Michigan, say that three people filed valid claims, not invalid, it has to be valid. So make sure you got evidence and firsthand knowledge. We got, got lots of evidence. Right, but if there's three valid claims filed against that bond and they are processed and, and affirmed or approved, then that person can't be bonded ever again in public service, meaning they're done. Your politics are done, over. Go flip burgers at Burger King or something, but get the hell out of office because you're screwing everything all up. So it's very powerful information. Uh, a, a couple examples of where I think this would apply very quickly. Um, George Floyd. It's a controversial issue. We weren't there. We don't know what happened. I hear two sides of it. That two sides of it to me is all reactionary. If the family or somebody had rock-solid evidence, i.e. video, that the knee was on this guy's neck and he couldn't breathe because of that, he's a police officer, and in my humble opinion, anybody that works in public service, if they do something outside of the powers given to them, he has a right to arrest people and he has a right to defend himself. I grant that. However, if somebody dies at his realm and it was deemed excessive, yeah. I think this country needs to stand up for a minute and say, wait a minute, this special privileges needs to apply to everyone. There's so many special privileges out there, and that's supposed to be a, a burden. It's supposed to be a no-no. Nobody has any more right than anybody else. Everybody on this, in this planet that's Americans, we are all our own sovereign king and queens. I'm going to say that again because people forgot, or maybe they haven't forgot, they're not applying it in their life. We are the sovereigns. We the people. The, the government doesn't have any power other than what we give it to, give to them. So if they can do it, we certainly can. But if, if you have rock-solid evidence that a public official did something wrong, you can file a claim. Uh, like, you know, adding a whole bunch of illegal ballots to a election. Um, how about Maxine Waters when she knowingly, there's evidence already out, Millions of dollars have been siphoned out of her campaign to pay for her daughter's college. Bernie Sanders, yeah. I'm, I'm up here in this neck of the woods, and I hear it from the people directly. Bernie Sanders' wife owns the LLC for the campaign, and she siphons 10 to 15% of every donation that comes in for, for the LLC. So, I mean, yeah, I the know. Racket... I know that about Bernie Sanders, and I'll tell you what. Every one of them out there are doing the same thing. 
Maxine Waters right. has her daughter right. managing right. her campaign. Uh, they all do it. Right. They do, and this information is getting traction. I used it once up in Traverse City, and I'm going back. I'm dating way back when I first met this gym guy, when I first got exposed to this. Um, I was dragged into court because I, I failed to, um, what did I say, failure to appear. I'm like, failed to appear to what? They dragged me into court, came and arrested me, dragged me into court, and he told me that's what I'm there for. I said, what, what, what did I not appear to? And he says, you didn't appear for this jury selection. Jury selection? I'd tell him, yeah, put me on a jury. <laughs> let me see the form. Hold on. Let me see that form. Hold on. So he let me see the form, and I, I looked at it. He wanted me to sign it. I said, sir, this one doesn't even, it doesn't even show that it's been served down at the very bottom. Any court document has to have a proof of service proving that it was served on, on you. I said, no, this one has, doesn't even have the certification filled out. There's no date. There's no signature. There's nothing on the bottom. This, this doesn't prove that it was even served on me. I had no problem filling out documents, but you don't need to arrest me and bring me to court and try to intimidate me when this is all made up. Where's the district attorney? There's a sheriff and the judge in the courtroom. Where's the district attorney? I'd like to talk to him and find out if, if he's responsible for this. I mean, he just perpetrated fraud on the court. Unverified documents from the district attorney and the court records? Well, I tell you what, that judge got mad or heck at me. Are you going to sign this form or not? Blah, 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 blah. Well, at the time, I was doing some research for Alan Keyes because I was a, a state campaign coordinator for Alan Keyes, or, or county coordinator, excuse me, um, at the time, he was going against Bush for presidency. Um, and I, that's when I first found out about this bonding information and also the comprehensive annual financial reports. That's a whole new topic itself. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So I had the information on the bonding for the state agents in Michigan. So I just said, you know what? I'm, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, Dean, you're already in jail, so what's it going to hurt? I looked at the judge, and I said, Your Honor, with all due respect, is your bond and the district attorney's bond still at Michigan Municipal Risk Management in Livonia, Michigan? And this guy turned white. I mean, he looked at me. His eyes popped out big. He dismissed everything, and that, guys, the, the case disappeared. There is no court transcript of anything. There's no docket. Wow. It's just the whole thing just disappeared. I was like, wow, holy cow, <laughs> this, this stuff really does work. So I, I started using that with certain, you know, public servants that maybe want to step out of line. I just ask them where their bond is yeah. um, because they know if there's valid claims filed against that bond, they lose their bond, they're done. You, I'm sorry, you can't be a police officer. I'm sorry, you can't be a congressperson. I'm sorry, you can't be a governor. I'm sorry, you can't be a district attorney anymore. So we, the people, do have the power. As long as we do it right, and we don't lie, we don't cheat, we put factual evidence together and properly file claims with the bonding company against these public servants' violations of law. If they violate the law, you file a claim. The problem is they're hiding the bonding companies from people. That You have to find out where the bonding company is, and it's not held within the state because it's an insurance policy, so you have to find out who the state's bonding insurance agency is in order to find out who to make a claim to. Wow. Hey, hey, Dan, uh, any question you could answer for a long time, but I wanted to throw one in, if I could. Uh, this Absolutely. is a reference to Bob, Bob Schultz and, and the recent petition filed, uh, violation of the electorate clause in the 2020 election, and you're familiar with what, what, uh, what that's all about, but uh, uh, could any of this bonding reference 
uh, authority uh, be used to help leverage some of that uh, uh, <clears throat> cause of action on behalf of these people? Again, well, uh, let, me, let me interject yeah. here a minute because I've had some thoughts on this, Fred. Okay. And we've, we've petitioned the government, and there's nobody who knows more about that right to petition than Bob Schultz. Mm-hmm. But I think we're petitioning the wrong people. I think we need to start petitioning our state legislatures. Mm-hmm. I okay. think we need to do it at the state level. And we can file with our state legislatures who these bonding companies are. Um, let me interject there real quick, Rose, because you're on a very hot topic. All district attorneys, state and federal, county, they are the ones that have to give you that bonding information if you ask. I can't cite every state law, but the Fed and the states make it very clear that if you ask a district attorney for an agent's bond that is within his jurisdiction, if it's a county, it would be the county's uh, district attorney. If it's a state, go to the U.S. attorney. The United States, go to the U.S. attorney under FOIA. Ask them, and, and under the law, they're supposed to give that information for you. And I also agree, Fred, that's a great question because, yes, if you do the bond first and the bonding agency confirms it, the bond is actually going to pay X amount. Like, for example, say there's a $10,000 bond for state employees, just as an example. I don't know what it is. but um, And you're damaged or your property is damaged. You file a claim and they approve it. If the, the damages was $50,000, let us say, well, the insurance from the bond is only ten, so they're going to pay you up to the bonding dollar face value amount, which is ten grand. Well, you're still owed forty thousand dollars, so now you can take them to court and use the insurance claim from the bond as evidence of the violation. Oh, that's pretty powerful, Jan. <laughs> so to answer your question, yes, and Rose, you're absolutely right. But I don't think that these people are going to answer you. I, I, I honestly believe that we are in a point in time, and this is why I'm trying to get this information out to everybody. In fact, Sean Hannity's show has called me and talked to me about this, and I was live with David Webb on Patriot Radio two weeks ago, I think, and gave him the information. He was simply shell-shocked. He said, Dan, I'm not, I'm not ignoring you. I'm writing this down. He said, this is the most fascinating information I've ever heard of. We, we the people, I, I need everybody out there to understand this bond information. If you see a public official that does something wrong, you need to file a claim. Rather it wins or loses is not the point. The point is, is that our public servants know that we all are watching them. And that, should, that should change the whole atmosphere and the whole temperature of all of these people. As far as I'm concerned, Congress goes in and they pass a law that violates the Constitution. You can ask for a certified copy of that bill passage with the signatures on it, and you can file a claim against every single one of them, uh, Congress people that voted in favor of violating the Constitution. You yeah, want Congress to start doing things? Absolutely. What's that? I'm sorry. This is sort of like uh, the, the, you know, we all have this vision for Bob Schultz and we the people uh, uh, holding 
our government accountable with these intelligent smart contracts and and, and what's called the blockchain. A lot mm-hmm. of this stuff should be automated to 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 make these filings to document. I mean, the next uh, act by that public official could be null and void by definition. Correct? Yes. Wow. To the to the mm-hmm. power of the bonding authority. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah, okay. and a lot of people don't know about it. And I'm sitting here. I, I watch. I don't anymore, but you know, I watch as much of this news as I can. This whole, I mean, guys, I'm sorry. I made that comment earlier about you know people don't even know what bathroom they're going into or whatnot, and I joke about that, and they're fine. You want to do that? Totally fine. That's fine. But damn it, you're not going to come to me and force me to acknowledge it and bow down to it and and kiss your feet because of it. Go live your life and be happy thinking that you're not what you think you are. I mean, whatever. I mean, that's your gig. Leave me alone. Yeah. The, 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 see, the, the people, in my opinion, the people in this country have it backwards. We think that we have constitutional rights. We don't. The Constitution doesn't grant rights. It protects them. We have rights given by God, our Creator, when we're born on the soils here. And the Constitution was drafted up by our founding fathers as a protection so we don't return to a monarch form of government, which we just lost. So the Constitution is a limitation on government powers. It's a, it's a chain. It's a restraint on government. It doesn't say Dan Benham has a right to remain silent. It says that no person shall be held to be a witness against themselves. That's an order to our public servants to not do something. If I don't want to talk to a government agent, I have every right not to. They can't force me to compel me to. They can't force me into a contract. But the government has, and the media has got people so brainwashed that we live in this democracy when we actually live not in a democracy. We actually live in a republic. And that the rights are in the people. And the Constitution doesn't grant us those rights. It protects them. So once people start understanding how that's really working, now all of a sudden they look at things and say, wait a minute, hold on. That, that, that doesn't apply to me. That's, that's to them. It's like these executive orders these governors are filing. I'm sorry, that's an executive order. It, it applies to the executive branch of government. The governor, or the president for that matter, does not have legislative power. Separation of powers denies a governor or a president from executing laws against the very public. Now, they can put executive orders together for the executive branch, but it can't extend out to the people. All these executive orders, I'm sorry, file claims. Guys, file claims. Unleash it. Unleash the beast, please. You got first-hand knowledge of it, and it it affects you, start filing claims. And that's that's fine for you to say. I mean, you're, you're a paralegal. You've got an exceptional intelligence. You... I mean, you've got a photographic memory. Most people don't know how to write a letter, let alone to write a complaint. Great, great topic. And, and I want to answer that two ways, if you don't mind. One, one I'm, in, I'm in touch with and I'm waiting for the fin- finality of it up here for Stephonic up here in northern New York. I'm trying to get with my local congressperson, who's huge conservative, Trump supporter. I'm trying to get her this information on these bonding information. I've talked to the office, and the office knows about it, and they're, they're, just, they're shocked. They're like, oh, my God. And what I want to do is try to get the congressperson 
to jump in and help. Because if it comes from a congressperson, could you imagine Trey Gowdy jumping on this and starting to file bonds against or claims against people's bonds? But Trey Gowdy's not in Congress anymore. It doesn't matter. He can still file a claim. And because he was a former district attorney... He isn't going to do that. I, Rose? Stelise Kafanek? Now, she might do it. I was just throwing names out, Rose. I'm just talking to everybody in general. I I just picked that Trey Gowdy because he was a former district attorney. That was the only reason I did that is because he does know how to put them together. And if somebody went to their congressperson... I would go to Matt Gates. But whatever, whoever, it doesn't matter. I I, I want everybody. I want a whole bunch of lawyers. I want paralegals. I want people to do this. Um, so I'm trying to get it to those Congress people, and I advise other people to, if you have a claim, call your congressperson and ask them to proceed with the filing of a claim against the bond. And if they don't know what that is, Rose, I, I believe I sent to you the, the bonding information. You know, the district attorney has to have it, what it does, how it's performed, how they lose it if they have too many claims against it, and how to file a claim against it. Get somebody that can help you. Or call the bonding agency and ask them for a claim form. If they won't give it to you, then you quite simply supply them with the evidence. Just make sure that whenever you mail stuff to them, mail it certified. So you get a signature proving they got it and that they give you a certain amount of time to respond. Normally it's 30 days. Here's a video of this police officer kicking my, my neighbor. I videoed it. Here it is. What do I do about this? Right here is his oath. I went down to the county clerk and I found his oath, and I called the, the bonding agency. You guys got the bond on it. So here is his oath that he swore to uphold. Here's the video of him actually violating it. Here's the law that says he can't do it. You need to file a claim. Really, that's all that's needed. You file a complaint about a violation of law. Make sure that there's a law cited. Here's the evidence process the claim. Here's his oath that proves that he's a, uh, an oath official that has to have a bond which is in your office. Just make sure it's valid. If you got the evidence, dang it, 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 it makes it real hard. Get the evidence, get the oath, match up the law, and send it in as a claim. Or if you're unsure, ask the agency itself. Ask the bonding agency, can you help me out? What I'm, what, what I'm trying to do at this point, Rose, is there's not many people that know about this, so I want people. It's no different in Bitcoin in 2008. It's a new innovation. This is a process yeah. not many people know about. Let's get the masses to actually start utilizing it, questioning it, finding out where their bonds are held, and also filing valid claims so that we can take a lot of these people that have chips on their shoulders and knock them down just a little bit. You know what? You're our public servant. You are not my leader, my authority. With the monarch system's gone. That was gone a long time ago. When you come up talking to me, you better not be violating the law because I'm going to file a claim against your bond. Are you going to go to jail in retaliation? You might. I did. I'm not going to say that this is an easy road. They don't like this stuff, and if you start filing claims, you might want you might start getting tracked. I, I, I can't I can't dictate what their reaction is going to be to it. But if the masses start questioning it and become aware of it, they are going to really think real hard about some of the things that they're getting away with. Well, I agree with you on that. 
Wow. Hey, Dan, uh, have you talked to Bob Schultz about this? I'm sorry, what was that? Have you talked to Bob about this, Bob Schultz? Yeah, Bob and I just talked uh, two weekends ago. I think okay. it was two weekends ago. We, like, we live in the same town, right? We're 15 yeah, miles away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. Great guy. Right. Love the death. What a fantastic, brilliant mind he has. And Rose, you are right. He is absolutely the authority in in you know freedom of, of free speech. I, there's no question, hands down, in my opinion as well. Right, right to position. Okay, Dan, we're going to ask anybody else a comment or a question. We'll try to put a poll around this call tonight. The archive will be available. Dan has a question for him. Yeah, who's that? This is Steve in West Virginia. Oh, would this approach not work for all of these governors who have exceeded their uh, authority of their offices to require these stupid mandates and lockdowns and all that nonsense? Well, the governor does that by executive order, and they're not the legislature, so if it's a state employee and in, within the executive branch of government, I would say that that executive order applies to them, but if I'm not part of the executive branch of government and the Congress, the legislature didn't pass the law, then they're certainly stepped outside of the scope of their authority. Matter of fact, that's I would what, that's not, to, uh, that's not, it sounds like you're saying, and so it could be applied against them in this absolutely. manner. Absolutely, and I would strongly encourage you to, do you have a pen handy by chance? Uh, certainly. Um, that citation that I quoted earlier, I believe it's 1988. If I'm off on the year, I apologize. But it's SEAL, S-T-E-E-L-E, versus Citizens for a Better Environment, U.S. Supreme Court. Huh, okay. I strongly encourage everyone to read the jurisdictional standing issues on there um, because that would be the, the foundation of your, of your claim. They don't have authority. Here's where the Supreme Court agrees to it. Find the law that says it, which in this case would be the separation of powers doctrine, very crystal clear. The governor is not part of the legislature. Article 2 of the U.S. Constitution is for the legislature. President's Article 1, he's they, 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 not even part of it, so it doesn't even apply. Um, and then that court case is backed up by U.S. versus Cotton, C-O-T-T-O-N, and that was 2002, which proves that the citizen's case is now what the legal world deems as stare decisis or settled law. It's done, it's settled. There is no court that can go against it. No judge in a county can go against it because it's settled Supreme Court law. Sounds good. Thank you. You bet. Thank you. Great question. <laughs> Any, anybody else? And thank you, Rose, for staying up late. <laughs> Appreciate it. And, and, and <laughs> you owe me, Fred. You are. Uh, you owe you. You are safe, Rose. And, and, and please say thanks to Bill. Anybody else a comment or question for our guest Dan Benham? And please, everyone, say a prayer and uh, convoke uh, uh, prayers of, of, of justice and, and hope for these processes. We the people, uh, legal, lawful, peaceful remedies and methods. Uh, to uh, get the truth out and uh, and have people roll up their sleeves and, and uh, confirm all of this stuff themselves.
in their own jurisdictions, in their own localities, in their own uh, cities and towns. Uh, anybody else a comment or question for Dan? All right. Dan, thank you so much for showing up on our call. Uh, the link, everyone, in the newsletter, uh, Justified Extortion. Uh, and uh, they have gotten away with so, so many things, and we've all been uh, party to the witnessing of so many of these stories over the last uh, 14, 15 years since we've had the show. Dan, we've interviewed hundreds of people. Uh, our, our show count right now is like 685, I think, today, tonight. And uh, uh, it, 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 it pains us to, to see the, you know, the number of people who have just gotten destroyed over the years, died, and, and, and it's just your, your story is hard enough. Uh, but you, you've, you've, you're hanging in there, uh, you're on your feet, and, and, and you're uh, standing up for your rights, and, and you're to be applauded in a positive, peaceful way. So uh, I want to say thank you for coming on the show and thank you for sharing. Uh, is there anything, any final comment you'd like to make, Dan? To close it out. No, I just uh, really would like to I thank would, you guys. I would, ahead, like, I would like, Dan, just for entertainment value, Dan, I would like you to talk a little bit about your time in prison. <laughs> um, that could take a whole other show, Rose. Come on, I you know it's—you it's, it, gotta go to bed. <laughs> it, it, it'll no, actually be no. quite cool. Oh, I'm wide awake now. Uh, <laughs> I think that uh, some of these people really need to know what prison life is like. Well, well here, here, really here, not, give us a two-minute version. <laughs> I, I, I will, and it's really not fair because my time in prison was much different than many people's. Um, I had gotten into federal prison, five foot seven, hundred and forty pounds, soaking wet, very scared, little bitty white guy. I didn't know what I was expecting. I ain't never been in a federal prison before, so I, I didn't know what to expect. Um, got there, kept my head low, but um, it, it, it's funny how stamps our money and that the inmates pretty much control everything until it gets out of control. What I mean by that is, is they, everything goes based upon the inmates' rulings and, the, and there are gangs and there are gang elements and so on. And if you just stay off your ter- out of their turf, you're fine, so to speak. Um, however, I was there, I think it was my third week there, um, and the law librarian come up to me and, and asked me if I wrote, wrote the book called, uh, you know, Crack in the Code. It was a, a Crack in the Code book, uh, but this was the bank code exposed. It wasn't Pete's Crack in the Code. This was the bank code exposed, and it was just information about banking. I have an extensive knowledge base on, on banking. That's what I basically showed people and studied for many years. Um, so this guy, he knew my work and research, so he actually got me in to be the law librarian. And in doing so, there was instantly people were getting actual relief. I mean, taken out of the shoe. Uh, one guy got released seven years early. I mean, the, the documents I was doing was working. So I went on diesel therapy for like eight years. I mean, I, for eight different places, I mean, for five oh years. You have, yeah. have to explain what diesel therapy is. Uh, <laughs> diesel therapy, when, when they moved me from, well, the, the Dominican, there was a Dominican guy there, they gave him 30 years. 30 years for it was like less than half of a gram of crack cocaine. 
This kid has been in prison 20 years of his life, and I'm thinking, oh, my God. So I just looked at all the sentencing and so on, and it just said, you know, this is wrong. You, you guys, the judge doesn't have the authority to go outside of the sentencing guidelines unless he has just cause. He doesn't have any just cause. He doesn't have a criminal record. So anyways, they popped him out of prison like 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning. Um, I won't say that it was a month later that I found out why he was gone, but he was released and went home, instant release. Um, and after that, it was very shortly, like it didn't even take two weeks. And next thing you know, I shipped down to Oklahoma. Then, you know, I broadcast me up to Milan. Then I went back to uh, Oklahoma City. <laughs> then I went oh back up to yeah. a low satellite. And they kept me moving around all the time. But every time I stopped, when I went to Milan, I met Pete Hendrickson. I was in there with Pete. And we walked, a, a, gosh, Pete and I did six, eight months together at, at Milan. Um, and, and we were helping a lot of people. Next thing you really find out who's helping and getting the successes, you're on deep full therapy, and you're going around again. So I really was never at a prison very long. They just kept popping me all over the place because they didn't want me doing anyone's legal work. That's the bottom line. So, but it, it, it's not a fun place. Usually it is not a fun place, people. It's, it's, but it is a little city. It, it's a little city, and as long as you mind your own business and don't meddle in other people's affairs, um, it, it, it's you're, you're going to be fine. Just, you know, just don't be an idiot, really, is what it boils down to. <clears throat> it wasn't fun. Took everything everything I had, my life, my queen, my fame, my family, everything. I, I, in 2013, August 12th, I walked out of a federal prison with prison issue socks and underwear. <clears throat> Here you go. Here's life. <laughs> what? Thanks. <laughs> and anything. I'm gone. <clears throat> wow. Yeah, what a story, Dan. Jeez, please. God. Mm-hmm. And you and you, you have your spirit. Uh, it, it's like it's like you're, you're. And I was just watching some some of these uh, veterans from D-Day, uh, Omaha Beach, and oh my God! But you, what you've been through, and people like you through the, the sausage grinder of the court system, it's just mm-hmm. it's 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 just it's just terrible. It, it's it's awful. It is. It is. And, and one last comment. Um, that that uh, brief that I sent to you. Um, yeah, anybody yeah. wants wants that, please feel free to, to share with people because what I did there and, and what I'm trying to do right now, I'll be quite frank with my intentions on wanting to resurface a little bit because otherwise I normally wouldn't resurface and start talking because I know they're listening to the phone and I might just end up back on diesel therapy for another five or ten. But what, what I'm finding is that the information that Dan Meter and Dewey put together a long time ago about the actual organization the structure and the creation of the Bureau of Internal Revenue, coupled with Bob Schultz and, and Sheila Jackson, Joe Bannister, and John Turner, their information is the evidence within the Internal Revenue Manual that shows that these agents have international in, uh, powers. They can deal with citizens abroad, and they can deal with aliens here, but not the general public. And it, it, I mean, it, it point blank, it tells you right in there. So they are absolutely correct. Dewey's information, Joe's information, I'm just going to say Joe, because I believe it did come from him, most of it. Um, And then Pete Hendrickson does the tax returns that amplify what the other two are doing. So I'm trying my hardest to get the three groups to acknowledge that all of their information is correct, and if they merged it together and merged the groups together. Yeah, okay. We the people, we, we are united together. United we stand, divided we fall. So I'm, I'm, that's, that's my underlying intent. So that document was actually put together with all three of that information combined. In Michigan, I just had a conference call, 
they finally gave me a collection due process hearing, and I called called in, and I'm telling you, the referee's going to have a very difficult time because Pete's information is verified by Joe's and, and uh, also um, Van Meter and Dewey's. And they struggled real hard to answer my questions uh, at, 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 that, or at that time period, and I supplied evidence, and nobody would rebut my stuff. So I feel fairly confident that Michigan's going to say, you know what, we don't want to mess with this. Let's go ahead and get this back to them. This is what I was waiting for you to bring out. What's that? Well, that, that all of these groups need to join forces. We don't need this group over here and this group over here. We need all of them together. Yes. They're all right. They're all right, and they're all covering different topics. So take the three topics together and you got the whole book. It's the whole story between the three groups I just mentioned, Rose, all the information is there that start to authority to finalize documentation. It all matches. It's all the same. They all are in harmony with each other. So all are correct. And I'm, I'm dying for like a Larry B. Craft or some attorney that is more of a patriot side that will take this document, chastise it, please. If I'm wrong or if you can make it better, please do. Please do. Let's get this out there and let's start handling these court systems with this stuff. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, Dan, thank you so much. And Rose, thank you so much for, for uh, writing back on this call, on the show. Uh, uh, everyone, the link uh, is on the website, uh, and uh, we will take what Dan said under advisement. Everyone, uh, there's a lot of good information out there. Uh, please do your own research, and and and. But this this critical bonding authority information documentation, that's a really key point that Dan made. Uh, it needs to be researched more. I, I think it's it, it's very simple, very logical. And, uh, and then the tail end of what Dan said and what Rose said about bringing all this information together. So uh, thank you so much, Dan, for, for coming on the show. And, and uh, hope, hope uh, good sunny weather and, uh, of the spring and shower us all here in the northern time. Uh, well, I, I truly hope that wish comes true because it gets kind of cold up here. I think, thank you so much for inviting me out here. I've had a lot of fun, and I'd be more than happy to come back and, and, and we can discuss commercial law and, and, and banking too because that's a, another couple topics that are huge. Um, and the book itself really explains that the corporate United States in the, uh, the Federal Reserve System in these immunities that they have are really the crutch of all problems. If we can resolve those issues, I think we can get our country back pretty good. Sounds good. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you, Rose. Thank you, everyone. It's a wrap. Thank you, Steve, Stevie. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you, thank you Dan. I hope you do come back. <laughs> yeah, thank you. God thank you much, everyone. everybody. Take care. Bye. 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 American Underground Network.